Welcome to Food and Loathing. Coming to you from the city where champagne wishes and caviar dreams don't end when you wake up in the morning, they simply roll into decadent boozy brunches. <laughs> I'm your host, Al Mancini. Rich Johnson is off reporting on sports right now, although we hope to be hearing from him during the news segment of the at the end of this show. In the meantime, you'll have to forgive any technical glitches because I'm kind of doing this on my own, man. Um, You're doing fine, Al. Thank you, thank you. Am I touching the buttons correctly? Did I touch the wrong place there, Rich? I don't know. They all look the same to me. Uh, as you can hear, I'm joined by our good friend Rick Moonen, <laughs> co-hosting once again today. Rick, how's it going, my brother? Oh, man, life couldn't be better. It's a little hot out, but other than that, man, you know, the city is hot as well, man. There's so much going on. It's super cool. Yeah, the city is on fire. I was just talking to Nicole Brisson. Okay, we should tell people we are coming to you, and the reason Rich is not here, we're coming to you um, from a Sunday recording session, which is not normal for us. Uh, we usually record during the week, but we had to do this because we wanted to be a, do a caviar segment while Rick Moonen was in town. He's a busy guy. It's tough to get his ear. So um, we were offered the space at um, Caviar Bar at Resorts World. They just started doing a Sunday brunch. Um, so they had us in for the Sunday brunch. Who I think we're going to get some brunch items while we're hanging out here. Um, Rick was cool enough to do it on a Sunday. Rich is off reporting about sports. But getting back to how hot the city is, right across the um, the hallway from where we're standing right now is Brezza. And they are having their one-year anniversary party right now. It's crazy. They're celebrating Packed. an amazing year. And I was just over there with um, Chef Nicole Brisson. And she was telling me that, you know, it's really starting to feel like the old Vegas mm-hmm. on the on the Strip these days. I get it. People are coming, they're spending money, you know, they're they're coming from out of town, they're not worried about traveling, and they got money burning a hole in their pockets, a lot of them, which is great news to those who work on tips and those who are trying to make food costs, right? I mean, bad man. I mean, and you can feel the energy, really, is, is what, I, what I feel, you know? Yeah. And uh, on Friday, okay, my wife says she wants to go to dinner, you know, where do you want to go? And I'm like, I don't know. And I'm on the social media and I see your post of Valencia Gold. It reminded me when Jeff, the chef owner, first uh, was reopening it as a, as a, as a slightly different concept, a Spanish paella concept off strip. Uh, you know, uh, he invited me for the pre-opening, and for whatever reasons, we kept crisscrossing, but I heard he's a great guy. So we make reservations at Valencia Gold, all these combinations, and it was amazing. No, I mean, like off the charts, he had a, a cut of beef. You know, I was going in for paella. Yeah, and then Jeff comes over. He's all happy we meet. It just seems like we've known each other forever, um, and he has this cut of beef that he's all excited about. He bought for a guest that requested it, but he had two cuts of the same, and it was like a wagyu bone-in ribeye, but it's got all the ex- nothing's trimmed on it. Right, I it's saw just, some it's, pictures it's, it's, of that cut. It's like a raw cut. Just like, like it just went down through the, the, the animal, and you got this gigantic muscle. It's like lo- a traditional Spanish cut, right? It's, yes. Yeah. And he cooked it, like roasted it, like near the fire, moving it, giving it love. And when I got it, it was ama- it was amazing. So let me tell you, man, there's great food, and there's there's extraordinary food, and there's unbelievable experiences in all over Vegas. Yeah, and th- this town really is on fire. If you've been waiting for a time to get back to Vegas, if you're an old Vegas visitor, visitor, and you've been wanting to come back to town, I got to tell you, now is the time. Um, it's really it, it. A lot of times, people don't want to come in the summer when it's hot. But you know what? You had a couple of years being locked up in your fucking house. Yeah. Come and sweat a little in Vegas. <laughs> it is a great time to be here, man. And yeah, Rich, you've already started. You know, we're gonna have. 
have, by the way, sitting right across the table from us, and she's not mic'd up quite yet, but we have um, Nina Manchev from Forte Tapas and the Caviar Collective. Who so we love. Be, we love her. So we're going to have her talking more about caviar just momentarily. Um, but we should say, you know, this is where we usually talk about where we've been. And I love that you just brought up Valencia and Gold, because I think everybody associated with this show has been to Valencia and Gold in the past, like, three or four days. Mm-hmm. I went over there um, the other day to talk about those steaks, because Jeff is about to do a steak dinner night. So we're going to have more details about that on an upcoming episode. Um, I recorded, you know, a little interview with him on that. But then I posted some dishes. Of course, he brought out some food. My wife joined me there. We had some great dishes. We didn't have the paella just like you we did gazpacho and a beautiful um tomato salad and some, you know just some really wonderful dishes and then next thing i know you call me the next day you're like where should i go i'm like well i gold is good right and you, you you're like i'm going there i'm going okay. there tonight no, right more, there's more it. though you didn't i didn't even mention but rich was also there that day i sat in the same chair as him he'd left just prior <laughs> to my arriving for, mm-hmm. for uh, my reservation with my wife. Right. And they said, no, the, the guy from uh, the, 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 the podcast, and I like to be Rich Johnson. He goes, yeah, he was just here in your chair. Yeah. <laughs> Small so, world. So Rich was there the same day you were there. I think Dana Roselli was there with Matt Goss the same night that you were there. Um, I think some publicists I know were over there that night. So it's turned into the cool spot. Yeah. I'd like to say that everybody was, you know, that I'm a trendsetter, but I think more likely I just have really shitty timing and I got there a day early. <laughs> People go after they know that I'm out of the way. They see that I've been there. They know they won't have to see me, and then they show up. Smells um, like hell. But, yeah, right? Either way, man, it's great to see Valencia and Gold doing really, really well, man. Agreed. Any other thoughts on the food there? Um, I had the same tomato salad. Super fresh. Unbelievable. Um, he, these, you know, and, I, and I went in there, and I'm, I'm looking at, like, you know, the, the, the salpicone, which is just lightly poached calamari and seafood shrimp, etc. You know, with a real light dressing, you know. And that's mm-hmm. what I wanted to order. I wanted light. So I said to Jeff, I'm like, Jeff, I don't want to go the foie gras wagyu route. So what do we get? We got the foie gras rice crispy treats. Which <laughs> oh, are those crazy are crazy oh, good. Oh, they're insane. No, no. no they're, they, they, and we told them that they should be served for dessert as well. I mean, you, you want to take a box of those home. You know, those are delicious. Must have those. And I ended with the Wagyu cut of beef. So anyway, so much for my plans walking in. But that's what happens. He had this reserve wine, and I forget the name of it. I apologize. But it was this delicious Spanish reserve wine that's highly allocated. You can only get three bottles. We said, we want that. Yeah. Because you're in Vegas, and you want that. Right. We had a great time. And, you know, he's also serving um, our friend... um, Craig Nyman's wine, or Corey Nyman, which, which Corey or Craig does the winery. Oh man, they're going to be so mad at me. Corey, yes, sorry, Corey, yes. I apologize. He man, was he was there at the time. Was he, was, he? he was at the bar. I think the, the only American wine on his list is that the one that you referring yeah, to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That he was there. Right. Good looking fellow, right? Yeah, and a yeah. good guy, and a guy yeah. that's been involved in the Vegas food and beverage scene forever. Also has his Golden Knights season tickets very close to mine. Yeah. Uh, his brother does um, food and beverage, or no, I'm sorry, his brother does um, music, music booking for Life Is Beautiful. So, um, yeah, that, that family's got it dialed in. So they serve their, their wine over there. In this, you go out on this town, man, you bump into, the, you, your network becomes so intense so quickly. It's fun. That's really what makes this town so much fun is it is kind of a small town, you know, and you see the same people. And that's what I like to do on the podcast, just talk about, and people are like, why do we care where you went? I'm like, you don't, don't really care where I went, but the place I went just happens to be where everybody else is going <laughs> exactly. to, you know? Yep. And it's so much fun. Um... I'm trying to think of some of the other... Oh, okay. So I'm a few other places that I've hit this week, because they're worth mentioning. 
first, um, we've been talking about it on the podcast. My new um, my new tagline for Neon Feast is kind of like Yelp without the assholes. Yes, so I've been trying to get um, people that would run that ad for me, right? So, <laughs> so kind of like Yelp without the a-holes. I finally got the guy who does my mobile trucks, um, Flow Advertising, Mike. Mike's a great guy over there. And he's like, yeah, fuck that. I'll run it. So um, we got it done up on his truck. We were running it up and down the Vegas Strip this weekend. Neon Feast, kind of like Yelp, without the a-holes. And, um, of course, if you want to see anything that's driving up and down the Las Vegas Strip, the best place you can possibly go to be street level Mon is Monomiga B. 100%. Right? You Love. Know, right? That is the best vantage point. You're in the you're in the bird's nest right there. Anything going on up and down the yeah. street. And I'm also thrilled. They're, um, they're brand new uh, premium subscribers to Neon Feast, so you can book your reservation straight Smart. from our app. Um, and we list them as a place that's one of the best French casual restaurants in town and also one of the best places for people watching. Because in this case, the people we were watching were abortion protesters in front of Bellagio. <laughs> but, um, you know, again, people watching. It was no. Still people watching. I, that's and where that's my number one brunch spot. That's where I love to go. And Vincent Pucell is a serious Vincent chef. Vincent Pucell is hardcore, man. Yeah, he's the chef there. Yeah, and last time I hung out with Vincent, actually I saw him recently, but we, he and I hung out, and I'm not sure if you were there at PBS answering the phones for their one of their pledge drives um, right before no, COVID. No, was not. There. No, okay. Um, anyway, so I went. <laughs> this went all the way the fuck around the block, and now we're coming back to food. So I went to <laughs> Montemiga B, and um, I had um, our friend's son was with us. A Calix, cool yeah. kid, a teenager. So I wanted a place that we could go and have dishes that everybody would like. The weather, people talked about this being a hot weekend, but to be sitting out with those misters on the patio at Monomiga B with the Bellagio Fountains right across the street. Yes, there were some protesters, but that's life in the city, and I'm cool with that. And it was just so much fun. It was the most, and even before my truck arrived, it was just the greatest experience. And then they brought out the food, right? And so um, Sue had a really good um, gazpacho. We had the the onion soup, which is, you know, the real, the French way onion soup. It's unbelievable. Um, I did the steak frites. I was going to do the mules frites, but there were no mussels right now. So no, steak frites, yeah, it's um, spawning season, I guess, for yes. mussels, right? Yep, Just yep. like it is for oysters. Um, so I did the steak frites. I did it apova. If I pronounce that wrong, sue me. Apoav, apova. Apoav. Apoav. Okay. Um, so I did it apoav. I, I mangle every foreign language, and I'm, you know, this is. I don't even apologize for it because I want people who don't know how to pronounce food to still go out and order it and if somebody gives you a dirty look for pronouncing it wrong tell them to fuck off you're buying it you're learning you're here to learn you're here to have a good time mangle whatever you want and do not ever let a waiter look down on you for your pronunciation fuck them okay still tip them but fuck them um so we did that the steak au or apoav i think i said apoav and he looked at me a little funny so you know but but that's all cool very very great waiter we had that day um, I also did this halibut with some popcorn to give it a little texture that was really, really nice. Um, the the uh, Calix did a burger, of course. We did some great desserts. But of, of all the desserts, man, they brought in this cheesecake. And, oh, man, I want to see if I can show you a picture of it. But it's this, like, beautiful two-layer cheesecake, as you'd expect. But it had um, a berry um, granite on top of it, which was nice, chilled, icy, beautiful. And those kind of sharp... There's really sharp crystals of ice on the top, mm. right? And then um, kind of a, a berry compote that it's served it's in. in a, it's and, in a pool. Yeah, yeah a pool liquid. of these berries. Mm. And it was just so great because you had, you know, three different textures, three different temperatures almost as you dug into that. And it was just a really, really beautiful dessert. So um, that was a wonderful day to be <laughs> And then I got to see my truck and it said, 
without the assholes made me happy. Yeah, I saw that post. It was pretty cool with all the flames. Yeah. Uh, finally, I paid a visit to Mamasan, which is Christina Wynn's new Polynesian Chinese pop-up at Green Street Test Kitchen. It's a and that was kind of weird because, you know, when she had said to me, oh, I'm going to do kind of this Polynesian but Chinese, and um, I'm like, okay, what is it? Now, okay, I should give you the details. A $59 prefix menu. It's available through the end of the month, every Friday and Saturday night. It's all sorts of food, and I'll, I'll go through the individual dishes. But what blew my mind was these were all the dishes that were my Chinese takeout favorites in New York, right? I mean, yeah. there was a poo-poo platter. There was the fried, greasy-ass fried rice, except not quite as greasy, right? But it was that beautiful, greasy takeout fried rice that yeah. I like, except elevated a little bit. Um, it was the, um, you know, some, some dishes soup. that I didn't even know the name of, right? We did the hot and sour soup. Right. We did a scallion pancake, which was thicker than the ones I'm used to, not as greasy as the ones I'm used to, but still very much re reminiscing of drunken takeout in New York City, right? Like, this was all of those dishes. On the poo-poo platter, we had the um, char siu carabudo pork. Now, it's, of course, I never got it with carabudo pork when I was, you know, young right. and broke in New York. But we definitely, you know, that pinkish pork that's yeah, so beautiful. I don't beautiful understand why they always that red food dye on their pink. I mean, it's Polynesian. Yeah, I don't know, but it was great, right? It was a high quality. She did egg rolls. She did beef teriyaki skewers. She did crab rangoon. Now, crab rangoon is a dish. But I have to say, when I order it from a takeout Chinese restaurant, I just assume it's just going to be some wonton stuffed with fucking cream cheese. Yep. And like, you crab. usually just get stuck with it because it's in a poo-poo platter. You never can taste the crab. Of course, when Christina makes it, you can taste the crab. That's and awesome. it's beautiful. And it reminded me what that dish was supposed to be like. Yep. Right? Um, other dishes, you know, she did, um, of course, the fried rice. There was an add-on. I told you it was a $59 prefix menu. You can ask for an $88 Maine lobster in brown lobster sauce add-on. Now, there was so much fucking food in this prefix menu that I did not need it, so I said no to that. Right. Not to be cheap, I just didn't really need it. Christina sent one out anyway, because <laughs> <laughs> you know Mama, she wants to make sure we're all fed. And it, it, was, a, it was a crazy dish, because it was a... Um, it's a whole lobster. Yeah. A lot of the lobsters still in the segments, you know. Now they've been kind of pre-cracked, so but you still have to work to get the meat out of them, right? Right. And um, but it's in this brown gravy with ground pork. Yeah. Which is just really weird to me because I've never had a lobster drenched in brown gravy and ground uh, pork, um, with with carrots and other vegetables and onions, and then these crispy noodles underneath that were beautiful because I love those crispy, those thin crispy Chinese noodles that when you're um. Um, what were they? She said wonton noodles. Um, but yeah, they, that's they, what they put yeah. in, like, you know, chow mein. Right, right. So they were really good to sort of soak up all that luscious porky Pork sauce that was in there, yeah. right? Um, I'll be honest. That's not the dish that I would normally order. I usually just eat lobster pretty pretty you know plain straight up lobster yeah, but yeah. um you know i it was it was messy it was sloppy it was beautiful it was satisfying you had to work for every piece of lobster and you loved it when you got it so it was a fun dish they need to bring more napkins with that dish because it's was the that, sloppiest fucking dish ever was that this or that 88 dollar supplement lobster dish was that supposed to be in addition to the 59 dollar yeah. or did it supplement something that's already in no the it menu? supplemented the dinner but for the entire table like if you had four uh, people yeah, paying yeah. for the 59 dollars then you'd add a single 88 dollar supplement to the table yeah, yeah, you know what i mean so really. it's not like no not like your your supplement is double the price no, it of just admission. seems like how could you enjoy it if you're already getting full that's what i'm thinking yeah 
and I, I think that that was really the deal. That's why I, I did not have much of it, but it was good. It was a fun dish. I, you know, I think a lot of people would love it just as their dinner on its own. And if, if this goes from being a pop-up at Green Street Test Kitchen to ever becoming an actual restaurant that she's doing with Mama San, I'm sure that's going to be a star of the show. Yeah, these you know? pop-up kitchens are awesome. and They're all over now, you know, so it's... It's exciting. It gives everybody an opportunity to test the waters. Yeah, and Christine is going to be over there. You know, she just wrapped up her, her brunch and her other pop-up set on Vegas Test Kitchen. So she's exclusively at Green Street Test Kitchen in the Palms through the end of this month, Fridays and Saturdays. Go over, check it out. Again, Polynesian may sound like something you don't really know what it is, but if you love cool takeout, Chinese takeout, especially if you're from the East Coast in New York and you love those, those dishes that are not considered elevated, it's very nice to see a chef try to elevate those dishes and show them some respect. Coming up, I hope to be joined by Rich Johnson for some news um, about the Dream Hotel and other timely topics. But first, demystifying caviar. This is Food and Loathing. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Here you are in Vegas. You're hungry and the choices are endless. But do you really want to trust the crowd? You can trust Neon Feast. Restaurant recommendations from real food pros sharing where they send friends and family. All that knowledge is just a download away on the Neon Feast app. Want the strip? Off strip? Downtown? Great views? Great value? Find smart, informed restaurant recommendations on the Neon Feast app and neonfeast.com. And welcome back. And as I promised, it is time to talk caviar. There is no better place to do it that I could think of than where we're sitting right now, Las Vegas's newest caviar emporium, the Caviar Bar in Resorts World. And I am joined for this segment with Nina Manchev, who is um, the owner, um, I don't know, the, the, the genius behind Forte Tapas, which is one of my all-time favorite restaurants and one of the earliest super cool off-strip restaurants to open, um, doing things that just weren't expected. Forte Tapas has been a pioneer of off-strip dining from the day you opened the doors, which is how long ago, Nina? Uh, August 16th will be 13 years. Wow. Long time. <laughs> it has been a long time. And when you opened that, for, so, so to explain, as I tried to describe it, because it says Forte European Tapas. Mm -hmm. So people assume it's going to be a lot of Spanish tapas. Yes. But you're much more on the, you, and you do have some traditional Spanish tapas in there, but you're also much more on the um, 
the Eastern European cuisine side, right? Some yes. Russian dishes, some Bulgarian dishes, yes. some other Eastern European countries that I don't remember because I had, you know, the last time I took geography, it was back when there was a Soviet Union and half the countries didn't even exist well, back it's then. It's definitely one of those situations that you mentioned before where it's okay. Like we don't, if people don't pronounce the dishes correctly, we just, we just help, you know, guide them <laughs> right. along with it. But when we opened Forte, it was definitely the, most of the menu was very uh, Spanish centered. I, I love Spain. I spent some time there and I love how the fresh ingredients are highlighted, which is similar in like Bulgarian, Eastern European cooking as well. But over time, people became obsessed, you know, with, with the Bulgarian cuisine and more of the Eastern European. So we started pushing that a little bit more. But tapas, like meze, small plates, it all kind of intermingles and people just know us as like forte, forte tapas. Yes. Yep. Yeah. And you have that great Georgian bread and cheese and egg dish, which I yes. always mispronounce. And so tell me how to pronounce it properly. So everybody calls it the bread boat, the uh -huh. eggy bread boat, but it's a jarski hachapuri. Uh -huh. Hachapuri. Okay. Yes. Well, yeah, if I couldn't get Above, then I'm not going <laughs> to get that one right. Greek. Yeah, yeah it right. does, right? It's all close. Um, but the reason you are joining us today to talk about caviar is because you also are the founder of the Caviar Collective, and you import caviar into the country. And over the years, I know that the caviar that you've imported has been placed at some of the finest restaurants in Las Vegas, correct? Um, I correct, know yes. for a while Robichon was using it. I don't yes. know if they still are. Um, but so you, how'd you get into the caviar business from being a restaurateur? So it, it's, it's one of our family businesses. And my dad began uh, doing a lot of caviar uh, in like the early 2000s. And then, you know, over, over time, we were just kept bringing it in for like a lot of private clients, restaurants, things of that sort. And then I started doing, you know, events and activations, which we'll talk about later, probably just to, like you said, demystify the caviar experience, because most people never tried caviar. They tried it one time, wasn't a good experience. And it can be like an intimidating, you know, product, right? Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, I think right now we're, we're pushing on like, 15 years in the business, like doing it. And it's a product from Bulgaria where I'm from. So I'm very proud that, you know, a country that most people don't know about, like is actually houses a lot of different species of sturgeon and we're able to put it on the market and be able to serve, you know, the chefs and people in the community. So it's great. Wow. So I'm super excited to have you here and I see you brought some caviar. I, yeah. This lady's got... You, I love somebody who shows up at a caviar bar with their own caviar. That is Listen, just badass. It's, it's all part of the Bulgarian hospitality, right? Like, I'm proud of the product. I, I love what, what Sean's doing here. This is such a beautiful thing that, that's in our city. So, I mean, we're all, we're all trading our, our, our different passions, right? And that so, is the beauty of Las Vegas, right? Yeah. There's not a, I'm not going to go over to that person's caviar bar. Like, right. we all love each other's restaurants. Well, first of all, I'm not a restaurateur, but you guys all seem to love each other's yes. restaurants and enjoy supporting each other's restaurants, yes. which is great. And, of course, Rick Moonen. Yes, sir. The man, um, you know, you, you I, I wanted to make sure we didn't talk caviar unless it was when you were in town oh, because I, I would not that. talk caviar. No, I do love caviar, and it's subjective, you know, to certain people. You know, so... When we describe caviar and we talk about the quality, the qualities that you should look for in it, you know, it, there's so many different applications for caviar. But if it's just caviar is the middle of the bowl of ice, be it whatever it is, I prefer it actually not quite as cold. I find the flavors come out a little bit more. It's creamier, but that's that's another discussion for later, maybe. But you know, just caviar itself, like tasting eggs against eggs, it's so much fun. 
Yeah. You know, it really truly is. It is, yes. So, yeah, Caviar is definitely one of those deals. I mean, look, our, our mutual friend Robin Leach, you know, turned it into a catchphrase, champagne <laughs> wishes and caviar dreams. And that was for his lifestyles of the rich and famous because for many years, caviar was just the thing that only rich people ate and that that's all it was right like yep. you just you, i don't even think we knew if the rich people really liked it we just thought that they ate it to prove they were rich it's <laughs> kind of like wiping your ass with a hundred dollar bill kind of thing right like that's sort of that's yep. how i grew up thinking of caviar and then I, I got to hang started hanging out with chefs and great chefs and they would always and nina would always bring caviar to events yep. and suddenly we're all doing caviar and then as rick and i spoke to rob Cashelrice about when we were at your house rick yep. not that long ago he did a whole story about how caviar has now become this add-on that's all kinds of restaurants in all kinds of price ranges are selling an extra bump of caviar right yeah. like oh you can you, know, you you like that hamburger? We'll put caviar on it for an extra fifty bucks or whatever. Well, caviar's you know? definitely having like its moment right now, and I hope I hope it continues. Well, I mean, here, going. like I, I think I even mentioned this when we talked last, but I mean, I was I worked for a, a, a restaurant that has twenty two locations, steakhouses, and every single um, concept has that but that that one item on their menu that they use to increase check averages. Hey, would you like to have the blank? You know, if it's Alaskan king crabs, which was very popular in a steakhouse, and suddenly they became very difficult to obtain because of all the system breakdowns and all the different reasons and supply. So now you pull out Alaskan king crabs off the menu, there's a void. We need something of, 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 of luxury, of, of something that's got perceived value, something that you can, you can top dishes with and really really allow it to enhance that dish it's caviar it's the it's the, it's time for caviar absolutely so for those who are still intimidated by it i think it's time for you to stop being intimidated by it and start learning about it and enjoying it so that's what i wanted to do i mean you know again there's nothing worse than being afraid to order something because you don't know what it is you don't know what to expect you don't know what it's supposed to be so i want to start talking really let's go back actually i did a little research history of caviar <laughs> apparently the first recorded written mention of caviar in the fourth century BC, Aristotle described the eggs of sturgeon heralded into banquets amongst trumpets and flowers. Um, by the second century BC, a single jar of caviar was valued at 100 sheep. So you had to be rich to eat that. <laughs> How do you carry that in your pocket? Um, yeah. Um, it was popularized, of course, by the Russian czars. That's why Russian caviar is always, you know, what we think of. When people always think it's a Russian delicacy, yep. um, particularly the golden row of the um, the Sturlet sturgeon, which became known as imperial caviar. This is what I was able to just kind of look up with a little bit. So you guys tell me if I'm wrong on any of these. But this is what I found weird. In 1873, apparently a German immigrant to America named Henry Schacht became the first international distributor of caviar, exporting ro exporting roe from sturgeon that was caught in the Delaware River to Europe for one dollar a pound. No, 1873, fine, but that was still pretty cheap, apparently. And much of it was then repackaged in Europe and sold back to America as Russian caviar. And in 1900, the state of Pennsylvania did a, put out an official estimate that about 90% of the Russian caviar sold in Europe was actually from the US. That's no idea incredible. if there's any truth to any of that, but that's fun shit you can find yeah. on the internet. You know, there, there could be some, tr there, 
probably is some truth to that. Could be. There, there is. Sorry, I was being political, but you know, and that's why that's why you know, governing agencies like CITES, Fish and Wildlife, and all these they they come into play because you know, making it a little more difficult or actually impossible to do things like that. Yeah, you you must get your caviar. If you're paying top dollar, you got to get it from a reliable source. There's been so much shifting and repackaging. I mean, I knew companies in New York City when people were getting exposed, the owners were killing themselves. I mean, committing suicide yeah. rather than caviarteria. There's two there's two brothers that separately committed, killed themselves because they knew they were going to go to jail. A lot of this paddlefish. There's, there's like a lot of American yeah. um, eggs available. The truest sturgeon, what the, a, a sturgeon, a real sturgeon is a white sturgeon. Right. Well, this is where I wanted to start. Oh, what is caviar? No, no, dude, jumping. you are jumping right in where I want to be. So... What do we mean when we say caviar, right? Because there are a lot of places you go into a sushi restaurant and people go, oh, salmon caviar or or whatever, right? But when we talk about caviar in its pure form, we're talking about sturgeon caviar, correct? Yes. I agree. Yeah. Absolutely. And you're saying now, Rick, it should be a white sturgeon? No, no, not necessarily. So there's three well-known sturgeons, but people don't know it's the fish. It's, you know, the, the categories of caviar in the Russian world or the Caspian world. Is this correct? Nina, you can yeah. jump in anytime. I'm yeah, not yeah. accurate. No, please. But, I mean, you've got the Savruga um, sturgeon that produces Savruga caviar. You've got the Ocetra sturgeon that produces Ocetra caviar. And you have the Beluga sturgeon. So that those are the breeds of the fish, not a those grade are, those of Those are the, the species. The species. Those are the species. Yeah. Okay. So Beluga produces the largest, richest, most delicious eggs out of the three categories. It's well known. Beluga caviar. It's like that's like saying, you know, uh, bring out the strippers and the blow. Right. <laughs> yes. You know, and Ocetra to me always the best category dollar for dollar. I get I get the, the delivery of flavor, of oils, ocean, pop, everything, texture, everything that I want to get, etc. And Savruga, which is a great sturgeon, don't get me wrong, delivers great flavors, produces eggs that are more, uh, uh, for me, garnishing and, and, and being yeah. generous with the garnish and not just putting a little thimble on it because it's a higher price point. Right. Yeah. And the eggs are a little bit smaller, so you can get definitely a little bit more bang for your buck and, like, spread it. And then there's byproducts. There's crushed caviar, the, the compressed, yeah. you know, which is the eggs that are broken. They're not going to sell. They're not going to get their money. They compress it. They turn it mm-hmm. into, like, this caviar <laughs> candy. Caviar, caviar candy. We do, we do, with the broken eggs, we do caviar butter. Yes. So we just took, we take a European butter, kind of melt it down a little bit, gently mix the caviar into it, and yeah. it's, like, on bread. Yep. Perfect. Oh, like, man. killer. Sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> I remember growing up, though, the caviar that was shelf-stable in the little jars oh on the shelf. Oh that was just, who knows what that egg right. was? I don't even know. And it was artificially colored. So anybody that had their first experience with caviar with what I saw when I was a child, I mean, I was in the business, and that's why I had to learn more about caviar. Right. But back then, I don't know if I ever would have had caviar in the nor- if, I, if I decided to become a damn in different profession. Well, when we go back to when you were a kid and when I was a kid, I was a child. I remember the first time I probably heard of caviar, probably in the 70s, right? I mean, I was born in 1967. So, probably, you know, a teenager, young kid heard about it. And I remember people saying, do you like 
black caviar or red caviar? And it was only in when they talked about Russian food, right? And I don't know if that was, if, if everybody was familiar with that or if that was, if I'm just showing my age, but I don't believe either of those were sturgeon that people were talking about, right? They could be. So a lot of, I, in my experience at the restaurant, especially like more Eastern European clients, Russian clients, Ukrainian, whatever, they will, they'll say, I want red caviar. And I just know that that's salmon roe, right? Or they want okay. black caviar. I assume it's the Ocetra or, you know, because that's what we bring in. That's our, that's our bread and butter. But uh, yeah, it's usually just red caviar or, right. or black caviar. Those and then the when you go varieties. into a Japanese restaurant, of course, you know, people will talk to you about um, Tobiko, which Tobiko. is the flying fish row, Makoro, yep. which is smelt row, um, Ikora is salmon row, right? That's Ikora right. salmon row? Salmon yeah. row. You're saying it correctly. It's not, the word caviar is really used exclusively for sturgeon, yeah. period. I agree. You know, so anytime, it, if it, you know, you get chefs that push it, put it in quotes, which is, uh, mm-hmm. pisses off an awful lot of Do people. Do that with Wagyu as well. <laughs> the Air Kobe yeah. as Wag- well, right? The Air yeah. quotes, you know, yeah. so yeah. that's bullshit. It's just, yeah, fuck that. you know, it's <laughs> caviar is from the sturgeon. sturgeon. Okay, so then there was a time, I'm going back now maybe 20 years, when it, the Caspian Sea was polluted as fuck from what I was told. Um, the beluga were almost extinct, if I'm remembering correctly. It became illegal to import them. Am well, I yeah, right on I that? mean, I mean, a big reason for that is overfishing. So they overfished it. It, it became part of the endangered species. Yep. I mean, there's there's beluga sturgeons in the Black Sea also, in the Danube. Like there there are other places as well, but. Um, I think 2005 is when they put the ban on. I love how we've balloons. glorified a big catfish because that's yeah. all it is. Right. It's a they're bottom so feeder. I know. They you know, are. and they're gorgeous, and they're they're basically prehistoric. Mm-hmm. And you they know, they've get been around. Big, right? They have no bone structure. Yeah. They're all cartilage. It's just like your nose. Well, the beluga gets like what, like 20 feet. Like oh. up to like twenty feet yeah, in I length, mean, more than that. Uh, yeah, I've heard of like five thousand. They're monster catfish being yeah. brought in, where like the entire town has to drag them in. Ooh, you know, like in the huge. old days, they're huge. Things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so when when at that point when we weren't really importing beluga because it was overfished and stuff like that, I and this is about when I first started writing about food. That's yep. when I would start to see people bragging about having hackleback or having paddlefish. And to me, it always tasted like shit. I, you know, maybe I just have a bad palate, but I never enjoyed hackleback, never enjoyed paddlefish. Now it has that blue-green algae taste to it if it's not done correctly or from the right source. Because they are catfish. They're eating off the bottom of a, an estuary. But are, are hackleback and paddlefish, are they sturgeon and does that count no. as caviar? They're not sturgeon, they're no. not caviar, but they, they call are. it American, like hackleback is what, like Ameri- they call it like American sturgeon, right? Yeah. No. Okay. So but, then we got to a point, which is sort of around the time that I got to know Rick pretty well, Mr. You know, the father of sustainable seafood, where I remember people started farming sturgeon in the United States. And that was looked down upon a lot in the beginning. People thought it would never be good. It would never be as good as what you can get from Russia. It would never be as good as what you could get from Iran, um, you know, or per, the Persian area. Um, and suddenly... I blinked and 10 years went by and farm-raised American caviar has become pretty fucking good. Oh, yeah. Right? Well, you had Tsar Nikolai out in mm-hmm. California, yep. Sacramento, and this is what you're referring to, I'm sure. And you had Stolt that also put up. Stolt is a lot of farm-raised uh, uh, salmon money uh, brand. 
not the greatest, not the cleanest, didn't have the greatest reputation at the time with the way they were farm-raising salmon, right? Because, mm -hmm. you know, they were all just trying to grow so fast and didn't even know the technology behind in doing it correctly. So, at any rate, they also put a lot of money and created a different um, uh, caviar name in California, and it competed. Mm -hmm. And then one mysteriously burned down, and then, you know, all of this caviar stories, let me tell you, there's always, there's always some underhanded... <laughs> crap that goes on somewhere along the line. Well, anything that's that valuable, you're going to get some... Oh, and there's this lady nice. named Daphne Engstrom, you know, and she was just this unbelievable, you know, pioneer in that area. And um, it took a while for even, even the French, the, the snobby ones, not just the French, excuse me, take that back, the, the, the higher-end uh, restaurants to finally embrace something other than Russian. But... During that time that you were, you were learning about your caviar, when you're getting your real caviar experience, there was a mess going on. That's when it was at its worst. The wall fell down. They weren't regulating. Overfishing became insane. Yep. Pollution happens as a result of all of that because of it's just a, it's, it's a, a crazy derby to see how much you can, you can get out of that water. And with no regard for the results. And so now, in order to keep the, the, the brand, I mean, not the brand, the, the demand going, continuing, they had, to, they had to fudge it. They had to fake yeah. it. I remember doing a blind caviar tasting one year, and I had Petrosian. I had every top caviar. Just send me, send me a, a sample of Ocetra and Beluga. I'm putting on my menu to Oceana, three-star, beautiful restaurant, seafood, New York City. Bernadan was four. We were three. That's what you went to in New York at the time. So I wanted to put caviar on my menu based on flavor. So I didn't care. So I, I blind tasted them with people, with friends that I knew that were, you know, professional sommeliers, people that had great palates. We sat down and it was one A and B of, of one. One is, you know, from, say, Petrosian. One A is there, Beluga, B is And it tasted like shit. Like we, the notes that I have, I really wish I kept the notes, like burning tires. This one <laughs> tastes like, like there was nothing going on. And that made me realize that, we're not giving our customers what we're promising, you know? So we finally selected one out of all of them, and I decided to do a trio to try to get people to eat caviar. Mm -hmm. So I did a, a trout row from uh, North Carolina, Sunburst Farms, trout row. Which, which is always very similar to salmon row, right? I mean, it, Yeah, but they're smaller, and it's off an aquifer, and I knew the lady that owned it, and she was selling this caviar for nothing, and it wasn't selling, and I told her, raise your price. Mm -hmm. She'd raise the price, and she started selling the shit out of it because it was great quality. Close your eyes in a dark room, spoon of this in your mouth, you would believe, you would be surprised at the color of the caviar because it's beautiful pink, green, reddish pink. You know, and then I put a, I put a paddlefish as well as the third one. So the third one was because of, uh, you know, I had American sturgeon, and I, didn't, and I called it a, a, a row tasting, you know. And then I did, so American sturgeon from uh, California. I did the, the, the trout row from, uh, from North Carolina. And I did from Osage, which was a, the one source that I tasted paddlefish that didn't have that finish, that, 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 uh, that funky blue-green algae. You, drink, you, you swallowed lake water in the summer type of flavor. Yeah, it's not supposed to taste that way. <laughs> and it sold well. It did well, you know. But it was very strange to people. And even the owners of the restaurant, I was a partner in there, they thought I was crazy for doing it. But I was trying to tell a story. And if somebody wanted uh, to have real caviar, they wanted it from Russia, they wanted beluga, they wanted I got the money in my pocket, wave it in the air. Right on Madison Avenue, there was a caviar store. So it was <laughs> So we, we've talked a bit about then countries of art, I mean, where they're art originating. What about right now? Where should we be looking? Nina, you import from Bulgaria. I mean, yeah, I can, I can talk on that. So we, we import from Bulgaria. Our farm is in Bulgaria. 
and it's a natural eco farm, which what Rick said, they are bottom feeding fish, but this helps to be able to, to give them the proper feed consistently and be able to control it. So you have a beautiful product at the end and in, in pristine conditions and so on. So the farmer actually gets feed from France and it's, and it's high nutrient everything. And he's able to, to keep all the, all the sturgeons like in the best of health, right? And another thing from that, th this is why it's so important, whatever product you're, you're getting on the market to do your research and make sure that it's coming from a reputable source, as Rick said, because I saw it, especially like in 2019, it was this whole wave of oversaturation, especially in the caviar business, right? And a lot of people don't know the difference between this one and that one, and it gets it gets tricky. And a lot of people, a lot of people got into big, big trouble for for passing one against yep. the other. You know what I mean? So good, good. They should have been. They should have. A little easier to catch them now because you can just kind of DNA test it, right? Yeah. I mean, if they customs can check it coming in and find oh, yeah. out if it's what it was supposed to be, oh, yeah. right? Yeah. Yep. Um, but then what happens if someone already has, like, it's it's happening on the end. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. That, it's that kind of yeah. thing. Um, other words, vocabulary words, kaluga. Mm -hmm. We haven't mentioned that. What is kaluga? Kaluga is a, is a species. It's a Asipenser uh, uh, derricus. So it's just a different species of, of sturgeon. But that one is very prominent. Um, I forgot the name of the river. But there's a river that... that, that that borders Russia and China, and that's where they're the most prominent. So I think right now the biggest the biggest supply of Kaluga caviar is actually coming from China, yep. essentially, and people really like it because it does kind of mimic um, the the look of like the beluga caviar and a little bit of the taste, but it doesn't really have that much flavor, and it's kind of like a workhorse for a lot of people. It was a lot less expensive and more yep. economical, but now like prices are all over the place. And there's a big demand for it, so I think people are shooting up their yep. their prices for the Kaluga. Cool. Um, I guess there's probably a lot of people out there saying, "What does it taste like?" Right? And from, I, I I don't know. I'll let you guys start. I mean, because I'm sure you get asked this all the time. I've never had caviar. What should I expect? What's it taste? Well, like? everything everything tastes different. Like for me, the Kaluga has almost like no flavor. It just kind of tastes like a grassy, nutty kind of. It doesn't really taste like anything for me. I like, I, I love the flavor of Ocetra. I love getting that hit of like the sea air and like that, that little bit of like the nuttiness and brightness from that. Savruga I also like too, but um, it has a little bit more of like a mild, like sweet on, on the back for me personally. But uh, everybody, everybody has their own like different characteristics. And then when you pair them with different foods, it, it can help highlight. Uh, those flavors as well. I think the palate ride of a, of a bite of caviar is first you, the texture of it is, is, mm -hmm. is immediate. You feel the silky, smooth, um, almost sticky deliciousness of it. But the salt is the first thing that you're going to realize. You're going to get mm -hmm. salinity. And, and that salinity is incredibly important, otherwise, it wouldn't be caviar. Right. It's the only thing that transforms the eggs properly into caviar is salt. There should be two ingredients in caviar eggs, salt. End of story. Ever see borax on there for any reason? Which no, you, that was that that was uh, been banned for years, but they used to yep. use that as a preservative. Right. And you don't see it, so it's not something that anyone should have any concern for. Yeah. There's and also molasol, right? Is that with molasol is, is like saying uh, halbtrolken or half half low half salt. Low right. salt. It literally okay. translates to That's low right. salt. Yep. Exactly. Okay. So then you uh, end up with all then the, the flower, the fruit. It just blossoms in your mouth. 
when you pop the eggs on the roof of your mouth, some people call them kernels or corn, and mm-hmm. pop them in like you're popping them in with your tongue on the roof of your mouth, and they do, and they just ooze fat, flavor, um, sometimes acidity. You get like almost like an, like there was acid added to it, you know, because the salt plays that with your with your tongue and the components of the caviar, and it depends on the sturgeon. Caviar, the, the sturgeon of species, as well as what they're eating. Yep. And when you can control it in aquaculture situation, I find that you're going to get, and I, I rarely say this, I think you're going to get a better, more consistent product from a well-run aquaculture facility and a great distributor. That is the best caviar you're going to ever get unless you're just lucky. Absolutely. I agree. Yeah. I, for me, I mean, I, uh, the, the texture, as you said, the popping it open on the roof of your mouth, like that is, that's the bite, that's the taste, that's the, that's the explosion, that's the luxury for me that you get from it. And when I try to explain it to people, and I'm sure people tell me that this is a bad way, but it's how I do, I, to me, it's like finding all the different tastes you can find in different different breeds and origins of oysters, right? Like when you sit down and you eat an oyster and it is all so of the sea. And some people use a word like briny or some people, we all use our own words to describe that, but that of the ocean, oysters are like that, especially when you suck the juice out of the very end, you know? Um, And caviar is the same way, that you're exploring it for the fact that Every producer, it is a little different, and you are going to taste a little bit of what that fish ate, you know, and and how that fish was raised, and the waters that fish swam in. Just like with an oyster, you're going to taste the the bay or whatever it is that it was grown in. Forgive me for not knowing where they grow oysters. Well, usually brackish. Sorry, I had a I had a customer last night that had some caviar, and he said, "Nina, this tastes like." kissing a lusty mermaid and i'm like oh yeah oh, that's a new that's <laughs> I like a new that way one. To, to wow <laughs> uh, you get dirty so, yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about the ways to um to serve and to order caviar um because most of us know it. The, the most traditional way you see it set out at a party it's in a tin you've got a spoon you've got the blinis which are the little pancakes and then you have all the, cust- the the traditional accompaniments right then you've got the chopped egg whites chopped egg yolks some chopped red onions are usually with it am I hitting all the right notes am I forgetting or chives some, little uh, chives um, some creme fraiche is usually in there yeah. um, so th- that would be what you would call traditional accompaniments or if not the blinis which are the little pancakes then toast points right like so that, is, is that your basic starting point for caviar? 100%. I don't think you've left anything out in that no. category. No. I mean, but that's that's another... If it's if it's nice caviar, I just like dark bread with butter and like caviar on it, right? Lots right. of caviar. Lots of caviar on it. I like just yeah. the caviar. I yeah. mean, whenever I get a... I will taste it right off the spoon, or when it, I'm not going to double dip. No, a lot can, of times they put it. They, they they call it a bump. We're good. Yeah. Yes, the, the bumps. bumps. <laughs> you know the little indention when you pick your thumb up. They just give you a bump and you but, suck but, it off. But Rick, correct me if I'm wrong. But I I just like you mentioned in the past past years there was just such an oversupply of caviar like trading through throughout, yeah. and it not it wasn't necessarily the best quality. No. As a chef, would you kind of agree that a lot of those traditional services were created? to kind of mask, you know, yeah, impurities probably. and, and really. things like that, right? I like caviar as it is, and I yeah. like a lot of it. Okay, oh. so then, look, first of all, caviar and cocaine, two things that you either do a bump or a spoonful of, right? Yeah. And they have that in common, and also the same people have the money to do both, probably. Um, but now the spoon. 
For years, you always heard it had to be a mother of pearl spoon. I've also been told a solid gold spoon works. The idea was that I was told that stainless steel, things like that would oxidize the caviar. If you actually put certain metals into the tin, the, t the, the rest of the caviar in the tin would start to go bad from metals touching it, that that was the origin for using mother of pearl. That might be bullshit. But As you're scooping out of a, a metal tin, give me a break. I, I, you know, I've heard that it was, if it's a, if it's a solid silver spoon, Right. then that maybe causes some sort of a reaction. But if it's a stainless steel spoon, it's... Yeah, it's and don't eat it off pewter. You know, <laughs> it's got lead in it. Well, exactly. I mean, but the truth is, every chef that I know who tastes it uses a plastic spoon and mm -hmm. says plastic is actually oh, yeah, as good as a mother of pearl food. spoon. Yes. Yeah. But, but a mother of pearl spoon is fun, right? Yeah. Oh, come on. If you're paying that kind of money, you want a spoon yes. that has been polished from a from an oyster shell. Yes. You know, that's exactly, or whatever, whatever <laughs> shell it, the, the, the mother of pearl yeah. comes but, from. But I do believe that the reason, and Nina, you're the first person, I feel like you introduced the caviar bump Thanks. to the Las Vegas market, <laughs> if not to the world. I don't know. But, and you know, there's so many chefs who just love putting a little bump on their fist and doing it and it looks like you're doing you know and that that's what's funny because you know if you've ever done cocaine you know, if you got a spoon you use it first of all if you have a table you use that if you don't have a table you use a spoon and if you don't have a spoon and your friend pops out the vial you stick your fist over and he pours a little bit off how do i know this i had a very very <laughs> very wild youth that's all i'm saying i'm well, well behaved these but days a, but, but that's thing, the caviar bump right another thing about the caviar bump that i think is intelligent. I mean, you hold a brandy snifter then you, differently than you hold a champagne glass. You hold the champagne glass by the, the stem because you want to keep that, the contents of it nice and cold. You hold a brandy snifter in the palm of your hand because you want to warm it up and get the, 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 the different aromas coming out of that brandy. When you put the caviar on your warm arm, your warm hand, you're slightly warming up a little bit and it opens up the, the, the palette of flavors that, can, that are, that are in, inherent inside of that beautifully treated egg. So there's there's a little bit more to it than just chopping it up with a credit yeah. card, right. but, but, but it's but it has been known as the bump, and I agree with you. There's a lot of similarities yeah. in mentality. You know what? That that's it's the funnest thing for me is that's helped open up so many people to to caviar because it's unexpected, right? Mm -hmm. And you're taking something that's very serious, and people have like this. This is how you're supposed to do it. Blah blah blah. <laughs> and you tell them, "Would you like a caviar bump?" And they're like, "What?" You yeah. know, some of the ones who smile that way, like you know, they had a they have a past. by the bathroom, but yeah. it makes it so much fun, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, also, caviar bites. Everybody's doing different kind of caviar bites. I think I had a caviar macaron at Harlow. Um, you know, they do have a great. We were we were talking about possibly recording at Petrosian. They've got a great caviar bite menu over at Petrosian. Um, they, they have some here, which I think we're going to be brought out. I may talk about it in the next segment because we haven't had any yet. But, um, you know, a, a lot of people are creating some of my favorites, you know, and they, they range from the luxurious to um, the geese of bois colors of caviar with the savillon and, and the, the green. And, and it's, it's just so beautiful to uh, Michael Mina does a caviar parfait, at, you know, which he's known for, which he created for his wife on their honeymoon yep. in Hawaii. Um, so there are those really elevated ones, but there are a lot more of these little fun ones now, like like Jose Andres does Jose's taco, which is just a piece of Wagyu beef with some caviar and you roll it up and you eat it. And it's like, you know, just pure, perfect ingredient driven stuff. It's gilding the, the lily. You know, you can put it on mac and cheese. It's delicious. You get lobster mac and cheese with a caviar bump. It's out of control. So good. And you're super cool. And you're eating this. Yeah. And there's, a, there's, a, there's a texture change and there's temperature changes. And it's 
unbelievable. No, and the I other, highly recommend and it. And the nice thing is, because because caviar, to, to eat it in its pure form, even though prices have come down, is a very fucking expensive habit, right? To yeah. order it by the, what, 50 gram, 100 grams, I don't know what, what level you sell it at, and I, I do want to talk about that. Sure. But, um, but to eat it that way can be a little intimidating and mm -hmm. very expensive, but you can order a couple tiny little tacos topped with caviar for $50, right? And well, everybody can have a bite of it. Well, listen, that's what I always say. Caviar, caviar like champagne, like all these, it's such a pleasure. Like it, it's, it's something that comes, it's, it's an absolutely pleasurable experience. Why limit yourself to only one way of experiencing that pleasure? Right. And, and, and having to spend, you know, whatever price point you can, where you can enjoy it in all these different sort of expressions and interpretations by these creative, amazing chefs. So I'm, I'm all about it. Do you have any favorite caviar bites around town? I mean, obviously the ones at Forte, I really love all. Yeah, all so the tell stuff me some of the things that you do. No, that's you know, we actually we actually do, do uh, we do a bump and a shot. Okay. So you do a bump of caviar, and we have a shot of chilled vodka on the side. That's a that's a really fun one. Your brand as well, I would imagine. Yeah, no? yeah. yeah, we do our we do our brand. Oil cans. Yeah. Cool. Uh, well, we'll talk about that. That's not our brand anymore. But yeah. it's oh, a, never mind. No, it's okay. Um, and then we do uh, a caviar flatbread, which is really nice. And we actually had one person last night, and he's like. He's like, this is this is not going to work out. Like, I don't. How can you put caviar on a on a flatbread? And you know what? It's it's just the the dough with creme fraiche. We put some cheese on it, and it's like these nice, fatty, like juicy flavors with the with the salt of the caviar just like kind of spread around it is is beautiful. So it kind of changes people's perception on like how you can yeah how you can enjoy it. Okay, now you mentioned with vodka, is it vodka or champagne, which is the better caviar accompaniment, or is there a better one that I'm not even thinking of? You know, um, I'll be honest with you. I think vodka first, second beer, beer, and third champagne. Okay. Champagne's too hard to, and too difficult to pair with with really good caviar. It's just another one of those things. You know, I'm spending a lot of money. I'm gonna get champagne. I'm gonna get you know. So Robin had it right. I mean, as far as steam, yeah. but you know what? A really good pilsner. It cleanses your palate, strip, you know, because of that, that level of hops is so, so good. And the, in Eastern European uh, beers are delicious yeah. with caviar. Mm -hmm. They truly are. Yeah. So if people want to enjoy it at home, can they come into Forte and get some caviar to go? Absolutely. We have uh, we have all the caviar. They can enjoy it in Forte, out of Forte, retail, <laughs> uh, box, uh, gift box situations at home if they want an event and activation so we're all cool. over the place and you know i need to come up with um, my a caviar list for neon feast i definitely think where we are right now caviar bar is probably going to end up on that i think yep. petrosian will probably end up on that i know forte is going to be on it because yeah. it's the closest to my house and the we're most gonna, affordable we're going to be doing some more some more unique uh unique things with caviar so coming cool. coming in the next couple of months well it looks like our food is just about to show up and we're at about a time so i think we're, i'm going to um i'm going to wrap this and yeah, you man. we're all going to dig in and have some food and then i'll come back and tell rich about how delicious it was and he could just drool and drool and drool so um, rich. guys thanks so much um you guys ready to enjoy some yes brunch absolutely here Thank at you. caviar bar and resorts world cool we'll be right back this is food and loathing I'm Jonathan Jossel. Who are you? <laughs> I said, I'm the mayor. Actually, I'm the CEO of the Plaza Hotel and Casino. We're located on the corner of Main Street. That's also the name of our podcast. The only podcast produced by a Vegas hotel. That introduction right there is bigger than any other introduction. If you're missing Vegas, in between visits, or just Vegas curious. I absolutely love, love, love to play slots. Join the fun every week right here 
on our podcast on the corner of Main Street. And it's nearly time for the news. I've been joined for this segment, as promised by Rich Johnson, because we could not have an episode without him. You cannot keep me away as hard as you try. And somebody has to make us <laughs> sound decent after whatever I did wrong well, in the first that, segments. Yeah. <laughs> So, Rich, anything to add on what we did in those early segments? I heard Rick, you know, talking about Valencian Gold, and yes, I had uh, left. We we are early bird eaters, so we were there at 5 and left uh, like 6.30 or so and uh, had a zillion things. Jeff, of course, then over-served us. Uh, a tip, a pro tip there is uh, get a paella, get a lot of paella because it is damn good the next day. It is a great leftover food, as it turns out. And inspired by that, uh, when we got home, Joanna made uh, a Romesco sauce, we had it with chicken one day and halibut the next. Romesco is a Spanish condiment made from peppers, tomato puree, almonds, garlic, parsley, cayenne, sherry vinegar, and the mother of all things Spanish, smoky paprika. Just stick it all in your Cuisinart, and then uh, you know it's sort of a paste, and you, you whip it on things, and boy, it was good. Cool. Well, I've got to come to your house and dine one of these days. Uh, be- before we get into the news, I want to mention that um, Caviar Bar brought out some great bites for us after we finished that last segment. Um, we had some chicken schnitzel topped with arugula and shaved Parmesan and a touch of this um, citrus rosemary sauce. Really light. I'd say more like a dressing than um, than a sauce. Uh, we also had an excellent crab cake egg benny oh. as well as a kale salad. And then, of course, some bites of caviar. And then, of course, we snuck some of um, <laughs> some, some of Forte caviar in there as well. So we were definitely caviared up. Uh, some of you may not realize that Caviar Bar is helmed by uh, Michelin-starred chef Sean Hergat, best known in the U.S. for his work at Show and Vestry in New York. Uh, he wasn't there on Sunday, but his team did an excellent job. So thanks to all of them for their hospitality. And, yeah, check out the brunch over there, Sunday brunch at Caviar yeah. Bar. Now for the news. Three weeks and counting or thereabouts. Uh, I stopped by Half Bird this week. Uh, Partner John Anthony happened to be there. All appears ready to go for Brian Howard's homage to roasted chicken. Half Bird, of course, is in the center at Spring Mountain. That is that huge block-long collection of restaurants, phone shops, nail salons, boba tea joints, and the Golden Tiki right in the middle. All you got to say is golden tea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's at the very west end of that complex, right on the corner of Spring Mountain and Wynn, a real high-profile thing. I'm really looking forward, as much as I uh, rave about uh, various fast food fried chickens, roasted chicken is a bit of my heritage. When I lived in Wheaton, Maryland, uh, which is uh, a mere 11 miles from uh, the White House, straight north, there were four uh, Peruvian chicken joints within uh, a block and a half, three in one complex and one about a block and a half later. And it was always a crapshoot as to which was open, depending on who got the visit from ICE this week. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so that's how you know it's, it's authentic. Okay. Um, well, we're all looking forward to Half Bird, and um, thanks for the update. I appreciate that, man. Um, look, immediately after our recording session at Caviar Bar, we walked over to Brezza, where Nicole Brisson and um, Jason Rochelo were celebrating the restaurant's one-year anniversary. At this point, of course, that restaurant has been a tremendous success. Um, you know, we all think of it, Brezza, yeah, one of the big yeah. openings of last year. That always, that was not always a certainty. Um, Nicole and Jason spoke to me about how different the vibe was a year ago. We were still in in mask mask zone when we opened, and you know I, I think we had this fear that we would we di- we didn't know if it was going to work. You know, going back to the strip and and just doing something a little bit different than everybody else was doing at this time, and and kind of pushing the barriers, 
it, it was it was a little bit of a, a lot of a risk, you know. And now I think we come full circle a year later, and we just see how Vegas is thriving, and the pulse is coming back, and the enthusiasm. And I I just feel like we've we've really hit a great stride this last this last month, especially, you know, and built a great front of the house and back of the house team where we are just keep pushing forward and, and keep having goals that we want to set for ourselves. And well, it, it came from where we started. We knew it was going to be hard. We knew it was going to be difficult post COVID. And we knew we were the underdogs were no one, like a handful of people got together to open up something on Leslie's Boulevard. We, we were, we were worried of course, but the discipline was there and, and we knew we had it. So happy anniversary to everyone at Brezza. Next up, there was a big groundbreaking last Friday. Dream Las Vegas is coming to the south end of the strip on Russell Road. Cross from Mandalay Bay, I mean, the Russell Road and Las Vegas Boulevard, I should say. Cross from Mandalay Bay and Valley High Golf Club. I missed the groundbreaking, but I caught up with our old friend, Mark Marone, who is involved with the project later in the week. And he gave me the lowdown on his involvement and their plans for F&B. This is a real cool opportunity to be part of a literal groundbreaking and design from the ground up is, is super exciting. So I've kind of all encompassing, you know, piece of the whole hotel vibe and, and putting everything together with the team. So I looked over the promotional materials, I actually missed the groundbreaking, sorry, I had a meeting at that time, but um, it seems like this is much more of a boutique kind of property with just a handful of select restaurants rather than rolling out like dozens and dozens, dozens of restaurants. Am I right there? Yeah, 100%. So I mean, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, Dream Hotel, definitely we've got a very strong approach to, to the way we kind of identify this gracious vibe, hospitality concept in each city. It's not mass scale, it's not meant to be huge, but it is meant to curate to a very specific group that you know enjoys what we do. And I think having a hotel at this scale and this size with the team, I think taking the approach and experience we've had from the Strip and all the cool stuff we've got from the big casinos, I think taking that knowledge, you know, that operation ability and then scaling it down to a size where we can really custom and curate a really cool concept for, for people that are locals and, and, tra- and tourists alike. So the two big restaurants that I've seen mentioned are the um, Stateside Kitchen and then the 24-7 Diner. Are those the main dining venues? Yes, and we also have, um, we're also, we do an experiential sporting club, which is going to be um, basically, obviously, it's a bar-centric um, concept with a lot of live viewing of games, a lot of interactive entertainment. That's going to be pretty exciting. We're going to roll out and start layering in some of those features now. We're in the design phase of that. But that's going to be a really cool, you know, craft-curated fun experiential sports venue, the 24-7 diner. Um, not huge, but that'll be obviously a 24-hour concept that's going to be focused on really great diner classics that are chef-driven, but then also at night, I'm kind of tweaking with the idea of doing some fun little little sneak peek, but doing some kind of an Asian-inspired kind of dim sum like late-night program there as well to get people excited in, in addition to the diner offerings. Um, really trying to curate that based off of growing up on the East Coast, man. I really miss going out hanging out all night and all of a sudden you just go to a diner and they've got, you want a chicken parm and someone else wants dumplings, guess what? They've got both and it's the best version of it, right? So, you know, that having that inspiration and that kind of, you know, excitement you would get going to the diner, I want to kind of take that to the next level. We want to offer a really cool experience in regards to that. And again, that's a perfect concept given our location on the strip right off of Russell Road that, you know, I really feel that it's a great thing for locals. We get kind of get in and out of without having to deal with the hustle and bustle of the strip, um, but come still for that cool, you know, kind of, hospitality and, and, and curated experience you're used to getting on the strip without kind of the fuss of the main part of the strip. Now tell me about um, Stateside Kitchen. What's that going to be all about? 
So Stateside Kitchen is a concept that we developed that rolled it out in Nashville first. Um, and it's an American brasserie is kind of the best description of it. Um, this one in Vegas, obviously, is going to be kind of the, the next evolution of that concept. We're going to kind of Vegas, you know, add a little more of a cured, cured meat program, dry aged steak program, have some bigger features on the menu and, and, and really dial into what really well craft driven versions of American, American food and American brasserie. We've got a good sushi program there really cool forno oven we're gonna be rolling out. So it's gonna be super exciting. It's gonna kinda, of, you know, be the elevated kind of fun vibe version of, of what people wanna eat and what people are used to eating and get pretty excited. Cool, and what's the timetable for this, man? When are we gonna be able to um, see this hotel and eat this food? Well, so it's looking, I mean, the groundbreaking was legitimate groundbreaking and they're uh, looking end of 2023. We're looking at, I think towards the end of that year, Q4 of getting this thing up and rolling and start doing some some sneak peeks and getting it getting open and planning ready to rock and roll. I've seen the, uh, the the renderings and and some of the releases about this uh, place, and uh, maybe it'll be great. Maybe it'll be a flop. I know there are other dreams around the world, as, as Mark mentioned, but I really, really like the idea of new players in Las Vegas. Uh, all due respect to Caesars and MGM, it's nice to have the others. We shall see. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely excited for Dream. They have a lot of experience running luxury properties. And, you know, that that definitely seems very encouraging. So I'm super psyched about having them here. Um, OK, next up, this is a story that I initially <laughs> laughed off as one of the stupidest press releases I received last week. And that is saying a lot because I have like 100,000 <laughs> unread press releases. And I mean, literally, I show my wife the number on my phone. Uh, I get thousands a day, maybe definitely thousands a week. And I thought this was the stupidest. But as I started thinking about it, I eventually decided it is also the most Vegas story I've seen in months. <laughs> I love this. I'm going back to experience it firsthand later today um, because this is about everything that makes Vegas great, which is ridiculous <laughs> hype, spending a ton of money on things that aren't necessarily inherently valuable and absurd public displays of your ability and willingness to spend those ridiculous sums of money to do so. Um, so, you know, I, I, I just I fell in love with it. I, I, I hated it. And then I fell in love with it. The gist of this release was that Evian has new sparkling water out and they are launching it with a month long residency oh at Tao Beach in the Venetian. So, uh, you know, I said, what's that mean? They'll be making cocktails with it. They'll be promoting it, all that fun stuff. But the fun part for me is they have also added water bottle service to their pool menu. <laughs> and to find out what that entails, I spoke to Evian's Lonnie Hamelinum. Hamelinum. I apologize. Um, yeah, I've mangled her name. I'm so sorry. Uh, but here's what she told me. During this month-long residency, the guests at the Tao Beach property will have the opportunity to experience the new Evian sparkling water in a variety of ways, including a special water service delivered with a sparkling bottle presentation. What exactly is the sparkling bottle presentation going to look like? Can you describe that to people? Yeah, absolutely. So if you order the sparkling menu, you will get a very sparkly French-inspired delivery with an Eiffel Tower, sparkling Alps, and the Evian waters will be brought right to your poolside table. Okay, so in the tradition of the sparklers and the champagne services and all of that, I mean, that's that's sort of what you're channeling here, correct? Totally, that's right. Okay, so do you mind if I ask how much this bottle service costs? Yeah, um, it is $120, and with that you get six bottles, 700 milliliter bottles of the Evian sparkling water. 
so I mean, honestly, Rich, like you think about it, if you're getting a cabana at Tao, I don't know what their minimum is. I have no idea, but I know it's going to be high. It's definitely going to be in the the you know Five the figures. thousands. Yeah. It could be the ten over ten thousand. I don't know, but to spend an extra hundred and what twenty dollars on a bunch of water, I mean, that's just padding the bill. You got to yeah. run up that minimum anyway, and you need to hydrate. And so they bring crazy shit to you. <laughs> it's awesome, man. Like rock on. I love this. Um, okay. So I need to go and get that. Yeah. Uh, finally, if oh no, this isn't finally because I just got something off the wire after it. But if you're looking for something to do on Saturday, the Silver State Brewfest is returning. It's at the Tuscany Hotel. I chatted with the resort's executive chef Miranda Prince about what makes the festival different from all other beer fests. So it is the Silver State Brewfest, and we've really tried to focus on breweries that are in Nevada and locally here in Las Vegas. So that's what helps make us unique: is that we are really about the community in Las Vegas and in Nevada, and we want to bring all those people and notoriety to the breweries here. So how many breweries are you going to have here? And um, how much beer am I allowed to drink if I come in and buy a ticket? <laughs> it is all you can drink, actually, and we are going to have over 60 breweries. And tickets for that are still on sale, general admission and early admission. Um, so you'd be entering at either five or at four, depending on which ticket you buy. Uh, and then right off of the presses, as I was getting ready to sit down and do this, Caesars Entertainment and Tau Group Hospitality will introduce a new dining concept at Caesars Palace. It's called Stanton Social Prime. It's by my man, Chef Chris Santos, one of the most rock yeah. and roll guys in the chef biz. I love him. He's um, always trying to infuse little touches of the Lower East Side in into um into las vegas so that's going to be adjacent to the omnia nightclub so i'm guessing that's that old was it herring but no seriously yeah, yeah. Seer right? something involving a suit yeah yeah so um <laughs> that one and um, that's coming soon and bravo to chris i was just at beauty in essex last night i'll tell you more about that next week next week's episode but yeah man it's great to have him coming in so he's going to be at the cosmo and caesar's palace it looks like i mean they're still inviting media into his cosmo place so i guess that's still going strong yeah. and it was it was kicking on all cylinders when i was there last night but more on that next week and that is about it for this episode of Food and Loathing. Thanks to all our guests, Nina Manchev, Nicole Brisson, Jason Rochelot, the nice lady Lonnie from um, Evian, Miranda Pierce, Mark Marone, and of course, thanks to our co-host, Rick Moonen. Please, 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 we're begging you. <laughs> Tell a friend about Food and Loathing. Spread the word on social media. Just search for Food and Loathing, and you'll find our handle in all of Al's posts. If you have questions or comments, reach us direct by email, foodandloathing.vegas. And if, ha if you haven't done it yet, what the heck is wrong with you? Download the Neon Feast app. Use it to find your next dining destination. Uh, like I did yesterday, uh, a Korean uh, joint. I was at Haru there in the, in, on Spring Mountain, near uh, Halfbird and all that. I found it, it on the Yeah, very good food. Whatever yeah. you need, whatever you want, you will find it at Neon Feast. And if you're... Uh, more about the laptop than the phone, just head to neonfeast.com. And if hearing my voice all the time just makes you pine over seeing my face <sighs> in my mohawk, you can on the CW Las Vegas every other Wednesday morning at approximately 8.15 a.m. And catch y'all all over the weekend and beyond on the Neon Feast update on The Vibe. 99.7 in Vegas, 98.1 in the high desert, 98.9 at the river, and uh, highwayradio.com. With producer Rich Johnson, I'm Al Mancini. Stay hungry. Stay hungry.